Check out Unpacking Israeli History podcast. From the history of infamous terror groups, Hamas and Hezbollah, to the story of Nakba, to Israel's disengagement from Gaza in 2005, there's so much to uncover. Unpacking Israeli History cuts through the noise and helps you understand Israel's present through understanding Israel's history. Catch up on previous seasons and enjoy new episodes from Season 6 each week. So, educate yourself. Learn the history behind the headlines. Find Unpacking Israeli History wherever you listen to podcasts. Ready to celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's and iHeart present Women Take the Mic, sharing empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&M's and spread some positivity. From breaking glass ceilings to dominating in sports and entertainment, women truly are unstoppable. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infinity QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Hello and welcome to Inside Podcasting, the podcast where we give you all the tips and tricks you need to run a successful podcast. Our first tip, I'm going to give it to you for free, is don't try and come up with a clever podcast introduction for every single episode because it gets old and boring and then you find yourself doing introductions like this instead of saying, this is cool people did cool stuff. I'm your host, Margaret Kiljoy, which is much nicer and easier to say. You see, that's, that's the first tip. On this, okay. So with me today is Alinda Sagata. Uh, Alinda, Hello. how are you doing? I'm good. I'm happy to be here. Yay! Usually, I'm like on this day that's totally a different day than last time, but this time it is a different day than last time. It is. We're yeah. older, wiser. Yeah. Than last week. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm on more antibiotics than I was last week, but I have less tooth pain, so that is an advantage. Oh. Yeah, I think oh, I, I did the. The last recording with like wisdom tooth infection. Oh wow, psychedelic! Yeah, <laughs> our producer is back. We're no longer running rudderless. We have Sophie Lichterman with us. Sophie, how are you doing? Is that is that what happens when I'm not here? <laughs> we were lost. Mm-hmm. It was my first time, but I was lost without <laughs> yeah. you. Oh, thank you, Alinda. Uh, Magpie. That was not mm-hmm. your first rodeo. <laughs> what happened? <laughs> oh, I'm glad to be back and excited, excited to hear parts three and four. Yeah. Okay. Also, our audio engineer is Ian. Thanks, Ian, for doing the thankless work. Our theme music was written for us by Unwoman. And this week, we are picking up where we left off last week for our second ever four-parter. Um, go back and listen to parts one and two. What's wrong with you? Why do you start on episode three of a four-parter? Um, <laughs> you're probably the kind of person who can read comic books. I can't read comic books because I don't know where to start. Wow, really? You start wherever. I know that's, that doesn't in. work for me. <laughs> to be fair, Magpie, we just made a we just made an off mic argument for why you would start at the end of something instead of at the beginning because you might find out somebody that you think is a hero is actually a really really bad person in their personal life. Oh, that's true. I actually, for research purposes, should probably start all biographies about three quarters of the way through the book yeah. and read through the yeah, end of their yeah, life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
All right, fair enough. Well, that's not what's happening in this particular episode. They, you know, no one's perfect. No group is perfect. Um, but we're focusing on the stuff that the young lords did. And there was way too much good shit to just do in two episodes. So here we are. We are talking about the young lords, a Puerto Rican street gang turned activist organization who, where we left off, is just rocking shit in New York City. They're setting trash on fire, but in a good way. Um, I feel like there's like good and bad <laughs> ways to set trash on fire. And they're all set to come into their own. So let's watch them do it. So they've just burned a whole bunch of garbage and gotten the city to be like, maybe we need to do something about this garbage because these radicals keep setting it all on fire and blocking the roads. So they open up a storefront because now they're way more popular than they were. And um, they turn an organization... They started operating more like having autonomous working groups that work on different issues. Okay, and one cool. of the autonomous working groups they set up is really interesting to me. They set up police watch organizations to go watch the police, right? Uh-huh. And these were community-led rather than just led by the young lords, which oh, rules. Wow. Yeah, like, I haven't, because I haven't done a Panthers episode yet, I'm not trying to contrast to the Panthers' ideas of yeah. police watch and stuff. But if you're going to have a membership organization with a hierarchy, please do shit like this. It was an autonomous affiliate network of neighbor, neighbor circles. And most of the volunteers were men and women in their 40s, um, not directly affiliated with the lords. I think this was to basically have like cooler heads, like, uh-huh. like people who are a bit calmer and more trustworthy in this way or whatever, you know. And they focused on conflict de-escalation. They also helped resist unlawful arrests. Wow. And their goal was to eventually make the police obsolete. I really like this. Yeah. I also really (laughs) like this. (laughs) I know. I'm like, why doesn't this just happen? Why don't people just make the police obsolete? I mean, probably a lot of people who try Mm -hmm. to make the police obsolete by (laughs) either going to jail or becoming worse than the cops. But like the Punisher tried to make cops obsolete, but he sucks. Um, Anyway, uh, they were unarmed. Or at least they were not armed with firearms, which wasn't a moral decision, but instead a strategic one within the context they were in. Actually, most of what the Young Lords are doing is unarmed compared to a lot of other organizations. We're going to talk oh, about what weapons they did use. Have you have you heard what weapon their like signature weapon was? No. I'm not going to tell you yet. It's going to come up later in the script. Okay. It's so good. I want well. you to think about what would be the coolest... <laughs> like non-gun weapon that they could have i know right now i'm picturing like chain with the ball with the spikes on it Ooh, that's pretty good <laughs> is, it a, a, is it a battle axe nope, oh, nope. Is that it's not a flail it's not a battle axe okay <laughs> when i do my spin-off episode great medieval weapons of history <laughs> yeah, <totally. laughs> explain the difference between morning stars and flails um and the like Argument about whether or not the flail was actually historically used medieval. Okay, anyway. So, (laughs) they waited until they had buy-in from the community before they even started this organization. They didn't just be like, oh, we're the new cops in town. We're going to start roaming the streets. They ended up with 200 volunteers that patrolled a five-block area around their storefront. Holy shit. Yeah. Yeah. 200 people is a lot of people. I know. And, like, I want to know more about its organizational models. I mean, yeah. that's like my nerd shit is I want to figure out where they were hierarchical, where they weren't hierarchical, where they like moved into different realms. But, you know, 
They also launched a children's breakfast program working together with the Black Panthers. I think that, and this is an inference from several sources, but I think that this is because the Panthers, they're on the downswing because of the Panther 21 trial, right? So the young lords oh, okay. are stepping up and the Panthers are helping them do it. And the cops work really hard to discourage parents from letting their kids participate, saying basically like, oh, they're a gang. Don't let your kids fall into that gang. Keep your kids away from, you know, the evil young lords or whatever. Yeah. It didn't work. Lots of people went. Working out of the storefront, the community just pours in support from all corners. There's local thieves who are like, hey, do you want some chairs? We stole out of this VW. And that's where all the chairs in the office came from. (laughs) Cool. Healthcare professionals donated medicine and volunteered, and there was an informal clinic run out of there. Wow. Probably hanging out on the VW chairs that were stolen out of. I mean, whoever's VW was was maybe mad, but you know, maybe they wanted a richer neighborhood to do it. Who knows? Crowdsourcing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> From each according to ability to steal to each according to need of stolen goods. That's, yeah. Um, they kept the whole block clean because that was like kind of their initial thing anyway, right? That they like physically clean the streets. Not metaphorically clean the streets, although we'll talk about some of their how they handled drug dealers in a little bit later. Because people loved them, um, yeah, they set them out in the trash on fire. Everyone liked them. Fire makes friends, apparently. I know. I would. I would think there'd be more of a backlash. I'm pretty excited that people are like, "Way to go, guys! Someone had to do it." Yeah, like I, I struggle to imagine that right now in most places you could go burn a bunch of trash in the street and make do more than polarize people. (laughs) Yeah. But I guess, I mean, the need was so great that they, you know, that the community was just like, something had to happen. We needed our trash to get picked up. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And I bet you it's like, I bet you the first half was like, half the people were like, fuck yeah, burning trash, this rules, fuck the man. And the other half was like, I don't know about that. But then when it like worked and people started picking up the trash regularly, they were like, oh, all right. And... So they're this much larger organization now. Some of them are still in high school. Uh, so the Young Lords managed to continue their name. But a lot of them dropped out of college and high school to work on this. There's a lot of ex-college kids. This is a pattern we see across the late 60s, early 70s movements, is that people go full-time to work on this stuff. And the people who can go full-time wow. are people who are like, well, why would I want a degree when instead I can change the world? Yeah. As someone who made that decision myself, I have a particular affinity for this. Yeah. No, no, everyone who finished their degrees, that's great. Fuck yeah. Um, Anyway, they start working alongside the welfare rights movement. They're just involved in everything. Because a 14-year-old young lord got arrested at a welfare rights demonstration. Um, As far as I, I didn't put this in the script, but basically I think he was like walking home from somewhere. And he saw a bunch of uh, women like doing a sit-in and were like, he was like, oh, I'm with them, and then sat down and got arrested or something like that. And okay. he ends up in Friend of the Pod, The Tombs, which has been, which has locked up basically everyone in this show who's lived in New York over the course of 150 years. Like, we do episodes about the 19th century, and all of the anarchists are getting sent to the tombs. Oh, wow. And here we are in the 1960s. People are getting sent to the tombs. You ever been to the tombs? I, I have no idea if you got arrested I- in New York. I have not actually. Okay, I never got. I've not been sent, but the name sends a chill down my spine. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) definitely. 
I feel like most guests, I'd be very nervous to be like, hey, you ever got arrested? <laughs> anyway. Um, <laughs> so the welfare movement of the late of the 1960s deserves, deserves its own episode at some point. They shut down New York City a bunch of times. They were fierce as fuck. They were women of color led. And the New York young lords weren't exclusively men, and some of the founders were women. But this alliance still helps bring gender equity, equality into the movement. Like more and more women are joining because they're focusing yeah. also on this this particular thing. Um, and this is something that they keep doing over and over again, is that they keep moving and working on issues that bring more and more women into the movement. And I think that's really cool. By October 1969, they put together a 13-point program modeled on the Black Panthers, um, but growing from it as well. Uh, they use the word Latino in this, which is one of the first public uses of the word in this context. And... As far as I can tell, yeah. As as a white person who just read this stuff, basically later in in the 1970s, Hispanic was added to the census, and so Latino uh-huh. became more of a word to be like fuck Spain, like what the fuck, we're not from Spain. We're from yeah, Latin yeah, yeah. America. But this is before that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I think that they're still already on the like fuck Spain, we're not from Spain. Totally. Um, <laughs> yes, they're very yeah. much on that too. Yeah. And it also, it talks about this 13-point this program. It talks about cross-racial solidarity between all oppressed people. It talks about internationalism. It talks about women's liberation. Uh, it doesn't always succeed at doing more than talking about these things, but we'll get to that. Yeah. And I believe mm-hmm. that at first it was like a 10-point demand, right? And then I think, I, from what I remember reading, like... The parts about ma- battling machismo and women's liberation were added because of pressure from women within the young lords. I believe you're right. I wrote a bunch of the script a little bit ago. Yeah. It, it got, at the very least, it got rewritten to uh-huh. further emphasize these things. Yeah. I think the women's liberation thing was, I, I could be wrong. I think it was in there in the beginning, but it uh-huh. wasn't as strongly worded, and it was like near the end. It was like the last point or the second to last totally. point. And so it got like bumped up to number three or four or something after uh-huh. after this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're right, because I do remember it being something about like, machismo needs to be used in a revolutionary way. And the women were like, <laughs> yo, that's not <laughs> what we're talking about, actually. That's not possible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, they did so much. I, I, yeah, no, I mean, I'm really excited about that part of it, that they they did so much discussion about what is and isn't useful in terms of, like, they're basically having the conversation about masculinity versus toxic masculinity. Totally. And there are definite, like, conversations about gender and about yeah. how gender is a social construct. Like, that was happening within the Young Lords. And yeah. a lot of conversation, learning from gay liberation movements, like, when I read about that, that's mm-hmm. what really blew my mind and made me be like, oh, my God, I'm so proud that these people are Puerto Rican. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, because we get presented this, like, because of the image of, like, well, actually, I mean, mainstream society literally doesn't have an image of the Young Lords. Mainstream society ignores yeah. them, right? Um, yeah. Or doesn't know about them. And, but when we see, like, the mainstream image of radicals in the 1960s, you might see a black man with a rifle, right? Uh-huh. Um, and it, and there's nothing wrong with that image, but it's like, yeah, it's like, I didn't know that the Black Panthers specifically teamed up with the Queer Liberation Front until 
Oh, I, I didn't know adult. that either. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, they, they've made explicit statements around this time being like, we're with the queers, you know? Wow. And it's this like, yeah, I mean, there's still all kinds of like sexism and machismo, but it, people are so interested in like looking back and pretending like everything are these divorced movements. Uh-huh, uh-huh. You know? I remember this, no, I'm just completely off script. I remember this conversation I had with this old union miner in West Virginia years ago who was like working against mountaintop removal. Uh-huh. And, and I was talking to him and he was like, you know, a coal mining hippie in the 60s and he's white and he's like, yeah, in the 60s we were out there protesting the war and then on the other corners people protesting for gay rights and then the other corners people protesting for black power and we were like, why are we all on different corners? This is dumb. Let's stand on the same corner and then we're stronger. And I'm like, oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Makes me it happy. Can, it can be that simple. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> and like, as you talked about, and we're going to talk about more about it, and I'll be curious because I think you know more about this part of it than me. The women within this movement had to fight for this inclusion, you know. Mm-hmm. But yeah. So they put together the 13-point program, and it ends with, we want a socialist society. So there's no, like, you can't really pretend like they're reformists, right? Yeah. You know? um, yeah. They were really good at getting reforms, but that wasn't their goal. Yeah. They set up a bilingual newspaper, which they mimeographed themselves before eventually getting it produced all properly. Uh, it was one of the country's first bilingual newspapers. Oh, wow. At its peak, it had print runs of 24,000 copies. Um, Holy shit. Every week, I believe. Um, and it was called Palente, mm-hmm. which I'll, re- I'll read what is in the script really quick. Palente <laughs> is slang that means onward, basically, from uh, para adelante. There's a sick hooray for the riffraff song called <laughs> Palente. Maybe you've heard of it, Alinda. <laughs> I have. It took me two years to write. <laughs> oh, really? It did. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I don't know if anyone out there is hard on themselves, but you can probably relate to tasking yourself with, I need to write a song that honors this movement and this, like, you know, of my ancestors. So I better mm-hmm. write a really good song within, like, four to five minutes that encap- <laughs> encapsulates this, like, how much it means to me. So it took me yeah. about two years to do that. That makes a lot of sense. The like, like there's episodes I haven't done of cool people who did cool stuff yet because I'm like, I'm not ready. Yeah. I'm not ready to like cover. I mean, I've done some that I kind of felt that way about Stonewall and the Spanish Civil War and some other things. Right. But there's some that I'm just like, oh, how the hell am I going to tell this? So that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, It's a great song. Anyone who's listening should go and listen to this song. And great video also. Yeah. The video By my friend Chris Mark. Yeah. I actually originally wrote the script for someone else. And then I used this part of the script to talk about how cool the song is, how people <laughs> should check it out. And then I dragged you on as a guest. Nice. So they start putting out uh, Palente. Actually, do you want to, do you have more of a, I'm like, it's slang. That means onward. Do you, yeah. Is there more that you could say about what I this mean, means? It is true. It's just slang, you know, and it's funny within like at least the experience of my family, you know, my dad, who was like a total like veteran turned hippie would be like, oh, yeah, palante, like the young lords, you know, and then Mm. other people in my family would be like, that just means to literally go forward. There's like dance songs about that. Why are you getting all wrapped up in this word, you know? Mm -hmm. So 
it's it's like a thing that I feel like for me, I was specifically drawn into that word because of the young lords. And maybe if you don't come from like a super like a a nerdy background of mm-hmm. of researching them, you might just be like, that means like keep it pushing, you know. But because of my mind being like totally blown by learning about them, I was like, this is the word. This is what I need to do. Yeah. Yeah, no, fuck yeah. Speaking of what we need to do, we need to be sponsored by <laughs> the things that we hate in order to eat food and feed it, feed the food to the people that we like and ourselves. So it's been a particular week of like learning about a bunch of ads that have managed to slip in past our filters. Oh, really? Um, so if you're listening to this in Ireland and you get an ad for becoming a cop in Ireland... No. I'm just going to go ahead and say, I do not support this particular sponsor. Wow, that is just trolling. I know. <laughs> that I is know. really trolling you. I know. Especially if it was like, I don't know if it was Northern Ireland or whatever. Like, especially if it was like a Brit- become a British cop in Ireland. Seriously. I would love to know what category they've slipped in under because we have like, government blocked and like all those categories blocked yeah it's like also, social club <laughs> <That's> <laughs> well, category. Like, we, a few years back we had the washington state patrol running ads on our, one of our shows or a couple of our shows and we were like what the fuck like we have all these categories blocked they were under business oh wow which you know which is more honest that's just being yeah honest <laughs> finally you're like, yeah. for once. You're like <laughs> yes uh, but yeah. Yep. So <sighs> don't enjoy these ads. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to our life. Here you go. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. You're listening to this podcast, so I know you care about history and what a period we're living through right now, specifically when it comes to the situation in Israel and Gaza. Right now, you're hearing a lot of loud voices screaming about genocide, massacre, and occupation. But these words, slogans, and various headlines are not enough to help you understand what is happening over there. And that's where this podcast comes in. Check out Unpacking Israeli History. Catch up on previous seasons and enjoy new episodes from Season 6 each week, where they cover many of the topics that are relevant to what's going on in Israel today. 
From the history of infamous terror groups like Hamas and Hezbollah, to the story of Nakba, to Israel's disengagement from Gaza in 2005, there's so much to uncover. Unpacking Israeli history cuts through the noise and helps you understand Israel's present through understanding Israel's history. So educate yourself. Learn the history behind the headlines. Find Unpacking Israeli History wherever you listen to podcasts. Tired of spills and stains on your sofa? Wash away your worries with Anabay. Anabay, the only sofa that's machine washable inside and out, where designer quality meets budget-friendly prices. That's right, sofas from only $639. Anabay brings you a no-risk experience with pet-friendly, stain-resistant, and changeable slipcovers made with performance fabric. Cloud-like comfort with high-resilience foam and hypoallergenic featherless down that needs no fluffing. Their steel frame ensures longevity, and you can rearrange the modular pieces anytime. And here's the cherry on top, up to 60% off site-wide. It's backed by a 30-day satisfaction guarantee, so if you're not absolutely in love, send it back for a full refund. No return shipping or restocking fees. Every penny back. Join the revolution of easy, clean, stylish living with up to 60% off at anabay.com. That's A-N-A-B-E-I.com. Offers are subject to change and certain restrictions may apply. And we're back. And it'll be particularly funny because these ads change over time, right? They're not set when we record the episode. They're set, I think, when you listen to the episode. So what if in the future I start doing host-read ads and I've gone on this long rant and then I come in and I'm like, do you like sandwich cookies? (laughs) Well, do I have a sandwich cookie for you? The following brand of sandwich cookie is all natural and is exactly what I need when I need sugar. I don't know. I'm not really doing a good job. You're I'm doing an Oreo ad? No, I, I would I never. Like, Wait, is this really happening? I didn't want no. to interrupt. <laughs> fam- fam- famous vegan snack, the Oreo. I didn't know it's vegan. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's why the Numino's thing is like not actually a ripoff because having the more organic version is fine. But it's like people are like, Numino's, they're the vegan Oreos. And you're like, as are Oreos. <laughs> I haven't thought of a Numino in a long time. Let me get some. You taught me. You taught me all about the gloriousness that is the Oreo magpie. You literally could do a sponsorship for Oreo if they were owned by an evil corporation. I know. This is the problem. Damn. Like. Anyway, the incredible tension of everyone needing jobs in order to yeah. continue to oh. live. Um, and I like this. I have the best job of anyone I know. I feel like, Olinda, you might also identify with having a pretty decent job. It's true. But, yeah. But what most jobs... uh, I'm going to turn this into a proper segue. Wow, brave. Um, What most jobs... What my job actually doesn't offer me, not because... is healthcare. Okay, we're going to talk about healthcare now. Mm. That's, That's my segue. I'm really good at my job. The medical situation for people of color in the 1960s New York was, um... Not good. Yeah, devastating. That That's a better word. Yeah, for sure. White medical students used black and Puerto Rican hospitals for training before they moved to work on, you know, people that society actually cared about. Lincoln Hospital, the only hospital at the time in the South Bronx, was called the butcher shop. People would go in there to get a leg amputated and come out with the wrong leg amputated. Holy shit. Yeah. There was no triage in the waiting room of the ER. The paint in the children's ward was lead. 
We'll talk more about lead paint wow. later. Here's a nice euphemism. People got enrolled into medical studies without their consent. That is the nicest way of phrasing that I can possibly imagine. Seriously. Is a it's bad. It's like a really bad thing. So the young lords single-handedly, no, wait, they show up as one player in a larger coalition of groups fighting for health rights. Mm-hmm. The East Harlem Co- Health Council, the EHHC. This is actually before they moved to the South Bronx. We're going to come back and talk about Lincoln Hospital a little bit later. Okay. But so this is the, when they're still more in East Harlem. They're protesting inside and outside of hospitals about the abuses happening there. And a ton of the medical providers at these hospitals were involved in organizing with the EHHC. Um, just usually not the administration, but the actual doctors and the uh-huh. other, you know, nursing staff and administrative staff and stuff. Administrative staff? I don't know what you call the people who aren't the bosses but are still administering things. Yeah. I got nothing. Yeah, administrative staff. Yeah. Middle management. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's like, again, like you have these like people who are like, we're crazy socialists who wear crazy outfits and uniforms and patrol like to keep the cops off of our block. And the doctors are like, wait, but you're trying to help people? And they're like, yeah. And they're like, all right, great. We're trying to help people too. How do we help people? You know? Yeah. Yeah. The young lords, they sat down with some doctors at Metropolitan Hospital in Harlem and they drafted a 10-point health program because of course it had to be a 10-point health program because... They only have two naming conventions in the Young Lord, which is one is the 10-point or whatever number point program, and the other one is the the something offensive, like the garbage offensive. Okay. Um, that's, that's Now, I, I love a good naming convention, and there have been great ones throughout history. I just, so I'm not trying to drag them. They just, they have two of them. In it, in the 10-point program, they advocate for direct democratic control of the hospital by a combination of its medical staff, its workers, and the residents of the neighborhood. No fucking notes. Like, seriously, that sounds great. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah. I'm in. Great idea. <laughs> How do we do it? Also, in the 10 point program was like, healthcare should be free. What the fuck? Then they formed yet another organization, the Health Revolutionary Unity Movement, or HRUM. HRUM? I think HRUM. Huh. And it might seem sort of odd that they make and join a million organizations, but it's actually kind of an effective decentralization technique that I think. This is my own bias coming into it. When they are more effectively decentralized is when they are accomplishing more, from my point of view. There's, or that's my reading of this history. Mm. They're avoiding putting themselves directly into power. They're keeping power with the people, which is their yeah, yeah. stated goal. And I'm under the impression that they were also learning a lot about what wasn't working with the Black Panthers, who also were looking at their own weaknesses and trying to uh-huh. show them up. Don't get me wrong. It's also important because while this is a story about how how the Young Lords won sanitation detox facilities, a patient's bill of rights. It's also a story about how the Young Lords, in conjunction with a huge intersecting swath of revolutionaries and, like, medical professionals and stuff, do so. An awful lot of this healthcare activism was inspired by the Cuban Revolution. Uh, Mm -hmm. A bunch of doctors and Young Lords had secreted themselves to Cuba at one point or another to see how to create a functioning healthcare system. Wow. Yeah. I'm not a... I'm not like a big state socialism girl, but I'm also not a big mm. capitalism girl. And Socialist Cuba produced a better healthcare system than the United States has ever managed to do. Yeah. So on December 5th, 1969, they joined a sit-in at the hospital. They're protesting the construction of an emergency room that 
I could not figure out what was wrong in the emergency room was being done in a bad way. Okay. I don't know. There's so many different times they all take over churches and hospitals and shit that it was like hard wow. to get. Yeah. It's a good problem for your movement to have being like, I can't keep track of everything they did because they did everything constantly. Yeah. I believe them that the ER was being done in a bad way and that they, it was worth protesting. I have no, everything else they've been right on about. So they didn't win a dramatic change in the construction of the ER, but they won a, a sort of a side demand. Okay. In that the hospital would now pay for one of their doctors to come volunteer at their storefront clinic Whoa. and offer immunizations. Yeah. And then there was something else that they wanted to work on. They, they just like literally worked on everything. They were yeah. focused on lead poisoning. I don't know if you knew this, but lead is really bad for you. Yes, especially for children. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which is why you shouldn't paint the children's wing of the hospital in lead. Apparently, it's like sweet if you eat it, and that's why kids oh eat it. Oh my god! Um, Sophie is looking distressed by this. It's tragic. Uh, so lead poisoning it is fucks you up. Lead poisoning, the original like fruit flavored vape thing. Like, what's? <laughs> I don't. I don't. Maybe there's lead in the current vape. Will we get sued if I make this claim? Allegedly. Yeah. <laughs> You're saying you don't know, but you might know, but it might be, but it might not be. And that's right. fine. Yeah. We're not in the UK. We don't get, can't get sued for libel. Um, there's probably not lead <laughs> like, in like, This podcast airs in, in the UK, Magpie. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm not in the UK. Oh, I see. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> the delicate balance. We all walk. Okay. I genuinely have no... Pretty, uh, all I know is that vapes are unregular. Right? Are they still unregulated? I don't know shit about this. I pretty don't. Un, pretty vape. unregulated. But lead paint tastes sweet, and that's why kids. That is. All right. I'm looking it up. Lead very paint. Disturbing. That, Does that it really taste sweet? With my day, it is Monday, and I'm already like, what the fuck? Yeah, lead paint has a sweet taste, which encourages children to put paint chips in their mouths and chew on surfaces like windowsills. Says. University of Rochester, the top Google result when I Google lead paint. I bet, that, I bet, I bet animals are drawn to it as well. Mm. That's why animals attack. I'm it makes I'm, you violent. Thanks, thanks for bombing me out, Magpie. You're welcome. <laughs> That's the point of this show. Wait, this show's no, not. Well, no. let me talk about how they've stopped it. Oh, That's good. the great thing. They tell stopped me, this me, shit. Tell me. All right. So lead fucks it fucks you up. It fucks up your brain. It fucks up your kidneys. It can kill you. Children in poor urban areas were chock full of lead. The paint had been discontinued in the 1940s, but no one was checking poor houses, housing areas to make sure that like landlords were getting rid of the lead paint and shit. In New York City, late 1960s, 25 to 35,000 kids were getting fucked up by lead poisoning every year. Wow. Um, and that's just the ones who were like, it was bad enough or got noticed in that way, right? Of course. One kid, he was two years old. His name was Gregory Franklin. He was killed by lead paint and basically since he had been born his parents had been fighting with their landlord to deal with the lead paint in their house mm -hmm. to no success and then they lost their child so the young lords spring into action they what they needed was a lead offensive yeah i love it <laughs> i know it's so good especially lead offensive because it sounds yeah. like it's gonna be about machine guns 
but they're still unarmed, except for with that particular tool that we're going to get to later. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> the city had access to a ton of free lead poisoning kits, but they weren't distributing them, or at least they weren't distributing them in these areas. So during the 1969 mayoral election, the Young Lords announced they were going to do free door-to-door testing with these kits, which the city hadn't promised them. They didn't call up the city and be like, hey, can we get some kits? And then say, hey, we're going to do testing. They just yeah. announced, the city is going to give us kits. <laughs> oh, cool. <laughs> and we are going to do testing. And the government was like, no. So then medical personnel and the Young Lords did a sit-in at the Department of Health. And they walked out that particular day with 200 kits and I believe started just getting kits from the city. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, direct action gets the fucking goods. And they went door to door doing testing for lead. And it was two groups. It was the Young Lords and then HRUM, the health movement. And they, the larger coalition that they're part of. Uh Uh-huh. And so they tracked who who needed treatment and the doctors with them made referrals. So they go around and it'd be like Young Lords... Um, and doctors working together. Over 30% of the kids that they tested uh, tested positive for lead exposure. Uh-huh. Um, and so then they would sit down and talk with people about their rights and about how to go about and try and get justice and try and get health, health needs taken care of. And they did this once a week. Uh, one source says they did it every Saturday. One source says they did it every Tuesday because why would history agree with itself? <laughs> I mean, the answer is because it was a bunch of humans and humans don't remember shit from 40 years ago very clearly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At the time. Either way, they were doing it once a week. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't mean to cut you off. I'm sorry. I just got really excited. Oh, no. That's all I I was saying. It's a great, it's like an incredible thing to do with your time. Yeah, totally. Yeah, and it's like, even it's like it's like volunteerism or whatever, right? But it's like fucking direct action. You're going around and helping people and like you're getting to know your neighbors and like, there's just like not a downside. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so they publicized what they found. And it became a scandal for the city who had refused to take, had refused to give them the tests, you know? Yeah. So within within months, the city changed its housing codes, stepped up testing, founded the Bureau of Lead Poisoning Control. I think basically because they were like, if you tell the city, like, if you don't take care of people, the socialists will, the city's like... Maybe we should take care of the people. <laughs> yeah. Much like you will be taken care of by, uh, let's go with a positive sponsor again. Um, old standby turtles. Turtles are really cute. You want to be sponsored by the by cute little turtles that live free? That live free like in the wild? Yeah, why not? Like we're just, we're thinking cool. about good sponsors to to do little ads for. I'm a fan of turtles. I love how they live for a very long time. Yeah. Should probably listen to them more. Yeah. Respect your elder turtles. Yeah. That is, this is an ad for respecting your elder turtles. Uh, You should listen to the Methuselah turtles in your life. And then whatever else these other ads are, we didn't approve of. They're an accident. I hope it's all turtle ads. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. 
featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. You're listening to this podcast, so I know you care about history and what a period we're living through right now, specifically when it comes to the situation in Israel and Gaza. Right now, you're hearing a lot of loud voices screaming about genocide, massacre, and occupation. But these words, slogans, and various headlines are not enough to help you understand what is happening over there. And that's where this podcast comes in. Check out Unpacking Israeli History. Catch up on previous seasons and enjoy new episodes from Season 6 each week, where they cover many of the topics that are relevant to what's going on in Israel today. From the history of infamous terror groups like Hamas and Hezbollah, to the story of Nakba, to Israel's disengagement from Gaza in 2005, there's so much to uncover. Unpacking Israeli history cuts through the noise and helps you understand Israel's present through understanding Israel's history. So educate yourself. Learn the history behind the headlines. Find Unpacking Israeli history wherever you listen to podcasts. Tired of spills and stains on your sofa? Wash away your worries with Anabay. Anabay, the only sofa that's machine washable inside and out, where designer quality meets budget-friendly prices. That's right, sofas from only $639. Anabay brings you a no-risk experience with pet-friendly, stain-resistant, and changeable slipcovers made with performance fabric, cloud-like comfort with high-resilience foam, and hypoallergenic featherless down that needs no fluffing. Their steel frame ensures longevity, and you can rearrange the modular pieces anytime. And here's the cherry on top, up to 60% off site-wide. It's backed by a 30-day satisfaction guarantee, so if you're not absolutely in love, send it back for a full refund. No return shipping or restocking fees. Every penny back. Join the revolution of easy, clean, stylish living with up to 60% off at anabay.com. That's A-N-A-B-E-I.com. Offers are subject to change, and certain restrictions may apply. Okay, we're back. My favorite turtle fact I learned is that box turtles stay within a mile or so of where they were born their whole life. Oh, wow. That was local. I just learned it from that ad just now about turtles that we all heard. Oh, yeah. I didn't, I didn't hear that. <laughs> <laughs> They're just local little guys. Yeah. Keep it local, like a turtle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. So, uh, let's talk about when they take over a church. I mean, um, around that time, they keep working on survival programs, too, which is what they call the, like, you know, breakfast program and stuff like that, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but they wanted to do more, and they needed another base of operations. And also, their friend and the Black Panther... Fred Hampton had just been murdered in Chicago by the police. So they were looking for a place that they could operate that the police probably wouldn't storm in a hail of gunfire. Okay. So they wanted a church. Brilliant, by the way. I know. And I feel like... I always wondered why the church. And that's like a very great point. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) 
practical point. Yeah. It also is that like, okay, so they're Marxist-Leninist organization, right? Ostensibly and, mm-hmm. and, and practically, but they're clearly doing their own thing. They're, they're things their own way and in their own context. So they're not mm-hmm. an atheist organization like Marxist-Leninism is like supposed to be, right? Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, some of them are atheists. Some of them are not. The Christian church was criticized regularly by the Young Lords for being an instrument of colonization. Completely yeah. accurate. But at the same time, they used Christ as a man of the people a lot in their propaganda. Oh, I like it. I like it. Yeah. They had posters. Yeah. I really want one. Um, I, they had posters of Jesus with an AK-47 slung around his shoulder. Wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> Where do we get that? I'm like immediately on eBay. I know. I know. <laughs> um, anyone who's listening, if you have access to these posters, please send them to me and Alinda. Seriously. And I think that some of the radical Catholics are rolling with them at this point. You can hear more about the pacifist radical Catholics in our episode. The pacifist radical, the ones who are rolling with the young lords probably aren't pacifists, but I'm not sure. You can hear more about them in our episode about the burglars versus the FBI that came out recently. So the young lords, they're looking for this new base, and they go to a Spanish church in Harlem. And they're like, hey, can we use your space? But the priest at East Harlem's first Spanish United Methodist Church didn't want to let them feed kids there. Uh, he was a refugee from Castro's Cuba, and he was not super lefty. There's <laughs> a, mm. a way that one could say that. So they went four more times to Sunday Mass, to, and they would participate in Mass, uh, I believe, uh-huh. respectfully. But then they would also like speak up and be like, let us feed kids here. Each time the priest is like, no, you, you can't do that. So then they go, I think it's time number five, but I'm not entirely sure. And a young lord tries to speak at the service, and an undercover cop pops up to arrest him because the priest had set up a sting to arrest the young lords Whoa. during mass. So, what a dick. I know. So a brawl broke <laughs> that out. guy. Because <laughs> a brawl broke out between cops and lords in the house of the lord. Thirteen young lords, eight men, and five women were arrested, and five more were hospitalized. Oh, wow. Religious civil rights leaders came out against the church for having set up a sting to arrest the lords the Lord's at mass. So the young lords gave up, went home, disbanded their organization. No, um, it stiffened their <laughs> resolve to use the church. And it also turned more of the congregation into supporters of the young lords' request to use the space. The, the congregation of the church was fairly split. Um, okay. And more of the younger congregants were like, fuck yeah, the young lords rule. And more of the older congregants were like, the young lords drool. Totally how they phrased it. <laughs> um, and so the next Sunday, 500 supporters for the young lords waited outside. The young lords met with the church board who started off the conversation by saying racist shit against Puerto Ricans. Um, that's the oh. other like background context to a lot of this, right? It's not just like people yeah. being like, I have slightly more conservative economic values than you, and I don't think it's a good way to help people grow up. No, they're like, you, I'm not going to say it how they would say it. You lazy Puerto yeah. Ricans have no work ethic, and that's why you're all poor, and you blow all your welfare money on beer. Um, these are some of the, my paraphrasing of what they've said, you know? Yeah, yeah. Also that it was disrespectful for the Afro-Puerto um, Ricans to have Af- to wear their hair in Afros was another thing the priests were like, we don't like your haircut. Wow. Way to go out of your, like, 
you're lame, by the way. Yeah, <laughs> Literally totally. no one's asking you totally. about people's hair, but cool. You're supposed to be talking about Jesus and stuff. Yeah. Famous. <laughs> like, no one asked you. <laughs> Famous hates people for their haircut. Jesus. Maybe he doesn't God. like frosted tips. I'm not sure. I've never asked him about God. frosted tips, but... Um, so, for two more weeks, they keep going to Sunday Mass. Uh, so this is like two months now, right? Then the third week after they've been beaten by cops, uh, it's December 28th, 1969. They mm-hmm. go to a Sunday service, and then they nail, nail the doors shut, lock themselves inside, and they basically take the university takeover strategy to the community. And if you remember, this isn't the first time the Young Lords. The Young Lords in Chicago took over a church as well, right? Uh-huh. But it... It certainly gets presented that they're drawing more from their experiences during the Columbia University takeover, which is when Columbia University students led by black led by black students took over much of the university. Which if you want to hear more about, listen to our episode about up against the wall motherfuckers. The which I think we just called up against the wall in the title because we're not allowed to cuss <laughs> on the title. Oh, and just I like that this entire podcast has turned into an ad for other episodes of our <laughs> podcast. I like to see it as weaving the web of history, oh, okay. but it's Fair also, enough. yeah, <laughs> it's also just, yeah. You know, if you want more context. They didn't take hostages. They let anyone out who wanted to leave. They held a press conference and they said that their demand was the ability to run a food program out of the church. And they couched it all in religious language, but without lying. They were like, mm. they weren't like, oh, Christianity is perfect in every way and they're doing it wrong. They're like, look, Christianity became a religion of colonization, but Jesus himself was a man of the people because that's their, their line, right? Mm-hmm. And they echo liberation theology stuff, which you can hear more about in our episodes about Chico Mendez and the fight for the rainforest. <laughs> now I'm just going to do it to make Sophie shake her head. <laughs> the mayor, this, this is like one of my favorite details of this whole thing. So the mayor has a Puerto Rican aide, like a, a guy who's his point of contact with the Puerto Rican community. Okay. Uh, his name is uh, Arnie Sagata. Hey. Uh, yeah. Wait, like my? I end up yes. realizing that's my uncle. Or Wait, is it your uncle? No, I have no idea who Arnie is, but Arnie, it seems Arnie. like we're related. Arnie, Arnie. It okay. seems like we're related, though. Yeah, Arnie Sagata. It's spelled the same way. I had to just double check. I had to look up your own. I had to look up your last name. Yeah. Remember, I was spelling it right in my head because <laughs> I'm like not very good at the double rolled R's thing, and so I was uh-huh. like, "Oh, maybe I." Anyway, so your uncle Arnie. Oh God. Um, Does he suck? I'm worried about. No, he's great. <laughs> oh, good, good, good. You cool. come from okay, Arnie. Let's go. Yeah, let's go. Uh, so he started off not great because he's the mayor's guy. He gets sent, he's the token guy who gets used to quell unrest in Puerto Rican neighborhoods. He was probably Uh on the ground during the trash burning, being like, everyone calm down. So the mayor's like, here, go in. And he has this like backpack telephone, this like radio, like military fucking telephone, you know? Wow. 40 minutes later, the mayor's office is like, radios him and it's like, what the fuck? Where are you? What's happening? And Arnie is like, I think they're right and I'm staying with them. Oh, cool. And he gets fired and he stays. Arnie. Yeah. My my man. I got him. Yeah. I'm going to like look this guy up on the internet. Uncle Arnie. And write him. <laughs> so they renamed the place the People's Church. 
And the community oh. pours in to discuss what to do about all kinds of shit, like evictions to lack of interpretation services at school meetings. Mm. And it was called the church offensive. Wow. <laughs> um, I really hope that at some point a young lord became a youth pastor, sat down backwards on a folding chair and said, you know who else had a 10-point program and then talked about the Ten Commandments? That's what oh, I hope wow. happened at some point. That's really good. <laughs> so they ran a medical clinic there because, of course, they did, staffed by all their doctor comrades, and they ran their breakfast program plus free community meals every evening for everyone. And so it's like all of these different people from the community coming in and bringing in food and sharing it with everyone. It's fucking utopian, like just frankly. Yeah, yeah. They taught classes on Puerto Rican and Black history. They set up a loudspeaker facing the street that played speeches from Malcolm X and shit alongside Puerto Rican music. Wow. The young lords generally didn't carry weapons. And when they needed security, they... Okay, I want you... I want, you both get a guess again. Sophie, you can't look at the script. I'm not. I'm not. Guess what their weapon was. You're, you're, the flail wasn't correct. The battle axe wasn't correct. Okay. I'll give you a hint. Turtles. What do you a, a shell? Like wait, how? There's there's they're just turtles. Out, like they're just out here throwing shells. <laughs> no, what? they have nunchucks. Oh, oh my god! The turtle, the turtle thing was turtle a great power. hint. I'm so sorry. Yeah, yeah doubting you. Um, it's all right. So. They carry nunchucks as their um, as their weapons of choice, which is, I mean, like, frankly, like, it's a scary oh. weapon to carry, but it's, like, not a, you know, it's not a, like, kill you weapon. Yeah. But if someone walks up to me and they're, like, kind of scary anyway, and they have a beret on and they're carrying nunchucks, like, I don't want to fuck with them. Absolutely not. This is like also the most New York thing ever, by the way. Oh, yeah. Because, okay. you know, it's just like, it, it, I mean, it just is in the way that it's this like cross cultural, <laughs> like, oh my God, you're right moment, you know? Yeah. I mean, I'm sure this was coming out of like at the time, kung fu movies were huge. Yeah. You know, like this is just a really, yeah, yeah it's just the most New York image in my mind. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, also very warriors energy yeah totally (laughs) totally which is i mean that's their roots right it's like they're a crazy gang that wants to realize that there's more of them than there are cops in this town so white supporters use their whiteness to pass through police lines and deliver supplies oh wow and the young lords made sure that no one did any desecrating of the church and they kept the altar and Mm -hmm. everything intact they actually even uh, kept Sunday services and like the regular congregation was able to come in and use the church on Sunday even during their occupation, although only the mm-hmm. younger congregants came, right? Because uh-huh. the, uh, the, the people don't like them aren't going to show up. And they held festivals of the oppressed with Puerto Rican music, with poets and musicians and writers and artists. I read something that claimed, this is the kind of thing that I feel like a lot of places might claim origin to, that the spoken word poetry jam, like the whole concept of the spoken word poetry jam, was yeah. de- was developed here. I believe it. And if so, this is one of the foundations of hip hop. Yeah, it's also where the poet uh, Pedro Pietri 
gave his first public reading of his poem, Puerto Rican Obituary. Which is featured in my song, Palante. Yeah. And there's incredible footage of him reading it, I think, for the first time on YouTube that you guys should check out because it's very moving. Yeah. It is. Even if you're like not a a poetry girl, you should go and, and listen to this. Yeah. Yeah. Very much street poetry. You're not going to cringe. It's not like particularly slam yet. You know, it's very, I remember reading that, that poem for the first time when I was in high school in an anthology of, of called like the outlaws anthology of poetry or something. And reading that poem really was the first time I ever saw Puerto Rican-ness be like, so talked about in such a real way, in a way that wasn't like a Mickey Mouse way, you know? I believe you, but tell me more. What's the Mickey Mouse way? Um, Like the way that we were portrayed in media when I was growing up, which was mm-hmm. very like docile and fun. And, and like, it was very J-Lo, very Ricky Martin. Oh, that yeah. was like what I grew up with. And also like literally West Side Story being something that's like, oh, well, you can see us featured in such recent movies as West Side Story. And it's like 1998. And yeah. like, why is this the last reference that I have? Yeah. So it was just very much, you know, I was hanging out in the Lower East Side and Tompkins Square Park and stuff. And, and for the first time being like, oh my God, the problems that I'm seeing in society now were happening then and and people like me were talking about it and we're experiencing it and this is like a poem that's expressing that yeah. angst you know yeah um so it was a very powerful moment for me yeah yeah the, the first time i heard it was in um in your song and then when i like was reading about this i was like oh cuz i was just all yeah you know the connections so i want to quote about this takeover just to keep talking about how fucking cool it is from um, the best book on this history that I found was called The Young Lord is is called The Young Lords by uh, Johanna Fernandez. Cool. Quote: Immediately, local grandmothers began delivering pots of food to the Puerto Rican radicals through church windows, while a phalanx of National Lawyers Guild attorneys on site and in the church's periphery filed court injunctions and reminded judges and police of the barricaded radicals' constitutionally protected right to protest, teetering between sacrilege and righteousness. The Young Lord's unfolding drama was captured by TV cameras parked in the out, parked in and outside of the House of Worship. And yeah, because of the National Lawyers Guild, shout out to the National Lawyers Guild, who are also still around and doing amazing things, the fight to evict them was held in the courts rather than just like storming the place. Like, because you like hear about this and you're kind of like, well, why didn't they just like storm it, right? And the answer is oh, that they, they took it to court. And their strategy, which was probably never going to win, but whatever. Yeah, Their strategy was basically a Methodist church is mandated to help people, and that's what we're doing. Mm. And this stalled their eviction, but not for all that long. Uh, I think it's 13 days, maybe, in the end. Um, on January 7th, 1970, the occupants gave themselves up into police custody, walking out of the church. Some of them were singing. Some of them had their fists raised in silence. When presented before a judge, each one corrected the judge the judge's pronunciation of their name, saying their own names in Spanish instead of English, which is such a good fuck you. Totally. They didn't win the use of the church. The church promised to run a daycare center and a drug detox center, but it never did. But they they won yet again. The government's shamed into action. Just as importantly, their power is growing. 
And we're going to talk about what they did with their growing power on Wednesday in the final part of this four-part epic. I don't want it to end. Well, when we come back, we're going to see them overthrow capitalism. And no, I'm just kidding. A <laughs> Co-intel repression and internal conflict fueled by authoritarian structuring is going to fuck them up. But their legacy will live on. And when we come back, they're going to take over a fucking hospital. Based? Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, Alina, do you, do you know what else is based? Your, your pluggables. My what? Your pluggables. Anything that you'd oh, like to plug. Yes. Well, uh, you can find me on all of the um, social medias. Uh, some of them terrify me more than others, but I'm on Instagram as Hooray for the Riff Raff. That's spelled with a U, H-U-R-R-A-Y for the Riff Raff on Twitter and all the other ones. And I'll be on tour um, this summer on the West Coast and also through the Midwest in July. Oh, yeah. Magpie, anything you want to plug? My other podcast, Live Like the World is Dying, has gone weekly. So if you're like, how am I going to make it till Monday? You can listen to me or one of my other co-hosts on Friday by listening to Live Like the World is Dying. And I'm on social media, even though I hate it. (laughs) As are we all. Very relatable. So if you want to participate in either everyone feeling bad about themselves when trying to perform coolness, you can see me on Instagram at Margaret Kiljoy. Or if you want to have bad faith arguments with people making bad faith arguments about you and watch the left devour itself, you can find me on Twitter at Magpie Killjoy. Sophie, what do you got? What do you want to plug? Uh, my beautiful friend Jimmy Loftus has a book coming out uh, and it is available for pre-order right now. It is called Raw Dog. If you go to any of Jamie's social medias, you can find a link to, to pre-order or request it at your local library. It's probably worth pointing out that it's about hot dogs. Oh, fair enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. (laughs) Yep. We'll see you Wednesday. Bye. Cool People Who Did Cool Stuff is a production of Cool Zone Media. For more podcasts from Cool Zone Media, visit our website, coolzonemedia.com, or check us out on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80, live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infinity QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Ready to celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's and iHeart present Women Take the Mic, sharing empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&M's and spread some positivity. From breaking glass ceilings to dominating in sports and entertainment, women truly are unstoppable. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality 
potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals. It's not about being the best in the world. It's about doing what's best for the world. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota.